should probably tell you what's wrong. Yeah. yeah. That'll be a little helpful. All right, so, let's do it. Matt, as in Matt Wood? No. no. Don Hart. Matt Don Hart, yeah, yeah, yeah. I played in real basketball as a freshman. Did you really? In fact, in fact, Welch. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Round Tripper here on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. It is Monday, January 27th. I'm Pat Zhang, joined by Conrad Bayer and executive producer Jack Sherwood. How are we doing today? Good. Happy Good. Monday. Happy Monday. Fantastic day. Outside. Everyone survived in the first two weeks of the semester so far? Yeah. 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 We're getting into quizzes and tests. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been fun. Yeah. Oodles for, of fun. For, uh, oodles, right? Yeah. First uh, Michael Bradley assignment of the uh, of the year coming in, or of yeah of 2020, 2020 on Thursday. New decade. New decade. Yeah. New decade. I already, I already have it done. Thursday. I started mine. 750 words to 100 word, thousand words about a good journal article. Wow. Speaking of that, he just retweeted the link. So wow. again, thank, thank you, Mr. Bradley, if you are listening I'll see you for that. Tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah, no, you are non-journalist here, but an economist now, Conrad Bayer. I hate it. What happened? You hate it? No, I don't. Conrad's taking global political economy. With Volnicki? Yeah. I saw him in Mass yesterday at 7 o'clock. I saw him last week, yeah. Yeah. Didn't wear his glasses to Mass. Really? I thought he would. Don't worry, I got the map of Latin America. I was doing a little studying today. Oh, we're getting getting the map down? Next week. Yeah. I'm this far ahead. I like that I got the map down, the econ topics. Listen, listen, the map, the map. (laughs) <laughs> counts for more of the test than yeah. you would imagine. <laughs> Coming well, I, from I an economic I, student that's taken it before, the map counts for more than you think. I think I got the map down. All right, that's big. Yeah. That's... And surprisingly, I think I know how to spell words. So. Hey, there we go. So we're getting there. All right, we'll get into some shout-outs before we get this show going. Thank you to Connor, Jordy, Megan, Jules, Shannon, Joe, Rebecca, Rick, Dan, Brian, Jack, Not Sherwood, Madeline, Katie, Cap City, Uncle Ken, Aunt Diane, Marie, Joe, Johnny, Mom, Dad, Bears, Kane, Sherwoods, Woods, Moyes, anyone and everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We are live on Instagram, round underscore tripper 23, and the podcast goes live every Tuesday morning on iTunes and Spotify. Just search round tripper two words. But all right, we will get into it, and we will start with a topic that I did not think we were going to be starting with, that no one thought we would be starting with, and that's remembering Kobe Bryant, who yesterday passed away at the age of 41, along with his daughter, Gigi, who was 13 years old, in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California yesterday. Now, Kobe Bryant, I mean, (laughs) what more can you say about him? Icon doesn't quite show the sheer stature of Bryant, five-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP, NBA most valuable player in 2008, an 18-time All-Star, four-time NBA All-Star game MVP, 11-time All-NBA first team, and something that he doesn't get enough credit for, nine-time NBA All-Defensive first team to go along with two-time Olympic gold medalist. Thinking of Kobe Bryant, obviously, it's horrible, it's tragic, but how do you remember number 24 and number eight? Uh, one thing, I mean, obviously I remember watching him growing up all the time because I watched the NBA probably more than any other league. But And he was just an amazing player. One of those guys kind of like LeBron is now that I never really wanted to win and never appreciated. Kind of like, I guess, with the football reference that we're going to talk about later, 
kind of like Brady, where like nobody wants to see him win. They're like, all right, this guy's too good. But it's just a joy to watch him play. Um, and I still remember that that night. What was it? It's five years ago now when he retired and and dropped sixty in his last mm-hmm. game. I remember staying up way too late. I had. They're actually showing that game on ESPN yeah. tonight at nine thirty for, for anyone yeah, that is uh, yeah. that wants to watch that. Yeah, and I just remember staying up. I think I had a track meet the next day or something, or coming off a track meet, and then, like, I remember staying up. And obviously, it's West Coast time, so it didn't mm-hmm. end until like midnight, one in the morning, or something, something wild, and just, just knowing what he was then as a basketball player and how amazing he was. But then everything he's done since then with winning, um, what was it Academy Award, Oscar, Oscar, um, and then just all these images and everything that's come out about how he is as a father, um, I think has actually left me more in, like, shock by Same. this. Because it just seems like he was such a fantastic father, not only for his kids, but, like, he'd do things with, like, other um, teammates' kids. Um, like, Matt Barnes, for his kid's birthday, Kobe worked him out. Um, and, like, just, just stories like that. And then, um, yeah, just how, how great of a father he was. And now he's got, what, three daughters because – tragically um gianna also passed away but just how that family is going to miss him being there and do that and then not only the family but also what he was going to do for the, for the world because he was he's he was on his way to do something special outside of basketball absolutely this yeah. was the start of act two of his life this yeah. basketball was not the end for him and he even even he said if he had the chance to go back to when he was 25 and play basketball again he wouldn't do it because he's so he was so excited about what was going to come and it almost makes you think what what was in his mind because it had to be something special because just he is one of the all time like minds of like that that generation not just basketball player like just human being. Yeah, I think also too just piggybacking off the sixty point Kobe game. What's often forgot is that was on es what was supposed to be on ESPN mm-hmm. was the Golden State Warriors going for number seventy three, and I think that they had like the stats from that night. I think it was like. Out of the like, if it was 100% people watch ESPN, like, or out of the people that watch on the ESPN networks or ABC, I guess it'd be ABC networks, it's like 75% or 80% watched Kobe's last game instead of watching history. And well, you were watching history with Kobe, um, but I think the thing that rings out most to me is like two things. Is the first one is that there's a lot that's been I don't want to say coming out, but a lot of now quotes and stories of Kobe outside of the basketball world about what he did with the foundations, what he said to people, how he made a difference, which obviously it's also, you know, it was a lot of fun to watch him on the court, to watch that step back, to watch like the Mamba, to watch just how intense he was. And then we kind of lost touch of that a little bit of what, that he was as good of a person off the court as he was on the court. Um, and the other thing was, yesterday's I drove uh, to Lower Marion with Madeline to look at the visual yeah. I sent you guys, mm-hmm. the photo. And I was talking with her and I said, there's very few athletes and people around the world that could garner this much attention and make not only the whole sports world, basketball world, sports world, and world stop outside of Kobe. Um, There's very few people that could do that from presidents to people, you know, celebrities to whatnot. And I'm a believer that like you're put on this earth, like to do something. And I think like there you have like a path to fulfill and you're, and I think that Kobe's, I think that he's done it. He did it. Is if you take a look at everything, all the people, the stories, everything that he's done, it was just, you know, he's had accomplished so much on the court and even more off the court. And just what Conrad said is, if you look at him 
over the last couple of years of what he was doing at basketball games. He was with Gigi Courtside. He was so excited to be able, you know, to be a dad, to be, obviously he would have 3 a.m. shoot arounds, whatnot, but now it's time for his, what you said, Pat, the second act of his life. And it's just, it's a shame for obviously for the Bryan family, for any Laker organization, everyone, and for the other families that were, um, you know, tragically perished as well. But there's no doubt in my mind that that treble basketball team is shooting hoops right now upstairs with, you know, for the rest of their life, for the rest of eternity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you guys put it put it very nicely. And as, as Jack said, it was a full nine people that did lose their lives in that uh, that her, uh, helicopter crash. So, of course, important to mention all of them. But on Bryant, I don't think that I can fully put into words how much he meant coming at from an East Coast kid because it's just different how he was on the West Coast and just the impact that he had on people that grew up a Laker fan and grew up a basketball fan. From that, what I can remember is I remember you stayed up to watch Laker games to watch Kobe Bryant. That was the reason why you did it. I remember that triangle team with Pau Gasol, with Phil Jackson, with Kobe Bryant. I remember those finals vividly against the Celtics and against the Magic. I mean, you know, going through that the stretch of his career later in his career where he carried god awful Laker teams and made them at least relevant. Um, you think of his mentality and that the guy tore his Achilles, limped to the free throw line, and shot two foul shots, um, they, yeah, and made him. Um, the the line that sticks with me uh, that Mike, Michael Lombardi used to uh, describe him today in the Athletic was just that he was relentless in his pursuit of greatness, and then all that, and he was relentless in his pursuit of perfection. To take a quote from uh, from Robert Iger, who I'm reading a book on um, right now, and that's part of what made him great is that it wasn't just basketball with him. And as Conrad was saying. It didn't matter what he was going to do in this world. It was going to be great. And it was going to be perfect because that's how he approached everything. Um, looking back at his career, I, I read through all the accolades that, that he had, which are just countless. 81 points in 2006, we haven't mentioned yet, against the Raptors. 55 of those in the second half. Just the second most points ever scored in an NBA game. And then, as Conrad was saying, with outside things as well, Oscar winner, um, children's book author as well he had written uh, a couple of those that have come out so his impact was widespread it was more than just on the basketball floor and then as a father as we said it just you're getting more and more kind of snippets come out because he was a private person i mean you didn't have a billion things coming out on him and his and his personal life here after he retired but you see how close he was with his daughters um, especially Gigi and how she was with basketball um, he's promoting the wnba Kobe in, in retirement, which is fantastic because those women deserve more recognition than they get. So you just the paths that he could have taken really were limitless, and it, it's so sad that the the world lost the giant yesterday. They they really did. Um, yeah, just also too, I read Ravel tweeted out saying that tickets are going for five times as much on SubHub for the game tomorrow. That's since been postponed. Yes, and they said they're going to donate all that money to. Um, like the extra money to the Kobe and Vanessa um, Bryant Foundation. And then, like, and that's just, I read today that there's billboards up in Buffalo about him. And just one last quote, you know, just to show the outreach and everything. And just one last quote that I think everyone's kind of heard this before and Kobe said is like, heroes come and go, but legends are forever. And I think that he will be forever. So God bless him and his family and the other um, families that, um, or mourning losses as well, family and friends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else you guys want to add on it? Also, like a quick thing that I just kind of thought of mm -hmm. because you mentioned the WNBA <clears throat> and how big a part Kobe was. Um, I don't remember if we mentioned it on the show, but also it's also weird. 
David Stern's memorial was last week, mm-hmm. and he did so much for the WA, yep. like getting it started and all of that, um, and just that those two guys, while they're so connected to the NBA and make it, making the men's sport so good, the WNBA also lost a lot with these two guys leaving. Absolutely. Um, and it's just like two of the giants of like 90s, early early thousands, NBA basketball, WNBA basketball we've lost already this year and it's just um it it's just yeah a lot to lose so fast and so like tragically yeah absolutely and you saw the impact that it had in the nba world with guys crying on the bench out there tyson chandler especially you saw the uh, the hugs from demar DeRozan and kyle lowry in that game which was shockingly played about 20 minutes after the news broke those guys had to go out there and play yeah. which is just unbelievably difficult uh, for them to go through uh, different tributes. Uh, you saw 24-second shot clock violations by a couple of the teams. You saw an eight-second eight backcourt uh, to honor his numbers. So, again, just his impact just felt throughout the entire league and ripples through the, basically the entire world with uh, with his reach and, uh, and his impact. But, all right, so that'll sum up our first segment there. Kobe Bryant, Gigi Bryant, along with uh, seven others there, passed away yesterday in a helicopter accident. This is Round Tripper on WXVU. And we'll be right back. All right, back here on Round Tripper, and we will get back into uh, a little happier thing as the Super Bowl is coming up this Sunday. Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. So we saved our Super Bowl preview. We didn't talk about it last week because we're making you tune in this week. So (laughs) here we go. We'll start it off with the coaches. Andy Reid against Kyle Shanahan. A really, really intriguing coach matchup. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you can start. <laughs> okay. Um, on Andy Reid, 207 regular season wins, 14 playoff wins. That's second most uh, in the NFL right now, only behind Bill Belichick. This is only his second Super Bowl appearance, which has always been the knock on Reid that he just can't seem to get over the hump. Yet here he is. Um, as well, then looking at Kyle Shanahan, year three in San Francisco, coming off a 6-10 and and 4-12 and season. Now, with how the NFL usually functions... Shanahan wouldn't be here right now, hmm. but the 49ers gave him time, kind of understand that, you know, it takes time to build, and that's what San Francisco has done. They've built through the draft and through that trade for Garoppolo from New England, and look at where they are now, 13-3 and three season, going to the Super Bowl. For Shanahan, he is returning to the Super Bowl after... Yeah, yeah. 28-3. 2016. Yeah. 2016, when uh, they had the 28-3 lead over the New England Patriots and blew that. So that's what Shanahan was most known for before getting here and has done an incredible job with the 49ers. Which coach do you think has the advantage here? If Andy Reid doesn't have timeouts, Andy Reid. <laughs> <laughs> I think coaching-wise, I don't know because it's like – I would say Andy Reid because he has all that talent, but again, that's because he has the talent. I would say maybe coaching-wise, I would say Kyle Shanahan just because if you look at all the plays that he has, we t- touched on a little bit last week, it was, or I did, pardon me, a little bit, about how much motion he has and mm-hmm. just putting that eye candy out there to throw, you know, maybe move the defenders over, safeties, linebackers, whatever it is. I think it would be Shanahan because if we get the Chiefs, some of it is Reed, some of it too is just Patty Mahomes just doing what he does. And that's and that's no knock on Andy Reid. I think, obviously, you've read off all those accolades. He won. He's been in the Super Bowl. He won one as a defensive coordinator, which I did not know. He made it to, what was it, three or four straight NFC Championship yes. games, only going to one Super Bowl. He's a great coach. And 
Yeah, so it's I think these are two very I one up and coming one that's kind of I don't want to say toward the end of his career because I don't think he is, but one that's been there before. Uh, I'm gonna have to go. I mean, I think it's a very close. Like, I don't think this is gonna be. Like neither of them is gonna completely outcoach the other. I mm-hmm. think it's gonna be a well coached game on both sides, but I think you'd have to give it to Kyle Shanahan just because. It almost feels like Andy Reid's been doing it so long and hasn't made it to this stage that there's there's some reason behind it. <laughs> like you can the time management stuff is something that's always come up for him. Um, and Kyle Shanahan, the same thing happened in that Super Bowl where he just didn't know how to manage the clock really by running the ball instead of trying to pass every time. Um, in the end of that game, but. I think he would give it to Kyle Shannon because it seems like he's learned from that Super Bowl loss, and he's and especially with this team being able to run it the way he is, he won't make that mistake again. So I think that gives him the slight edge, but also, I mean, it's going to be. I don't think that's what's going to decide this game. It's not going to be the coaching matchup because I think it's 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 too close to call. Like what if it was like Bill Belichick against Freddie Kitchens? Like yeah, <laughs> it's a. Join the Giants staff today. Freddie Kitchens, new tight end coach. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, new, new hiring th- fired head coaches now. <laughs> Listen, as a position coach, go for it, Freddie. Um, I actually take the opposite way that you guys do. I lean towards Andy Reid. Just Andy Reid's a Hall of Famer. And, or especially if he wins this game, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. I still think there's a argument for it to be made if they don't win this game. Reid just wins. And, yeah, he's come up short. And a lot of these games, but I mean, go back to things that weren't exactly his fault, a la last year when D4 jumped offside when Tom Brady threw the interception. You had Donovan McNabb in 2004 throwing up in the huddle. Like, Reach had some bad luck, and yes, he has managed the clock poorly many times. That is absolutely his his kryptonite, is, is managing the clock. But I don't think we can overlook how incredible of a job he's done in kind of just both had coaching jobs he's had. Like, he turned the Eagles into a perennial winner when he got there in the early 2000s, and he's turned the Chiefs into this juggernaut of a team. Now, Shanahan, he's young. He's done a great job helping build this roster. I love how they run that offense, just kind of playing to their strengths. Uh, the defense is ridiculous. But I just, I think if, if it came down to coaching, I would lean towards Andy Reid just with all the past accolades and past experience that he's gone through. Looking to the quarterbacks, Mahomes against Garoppolo. I don't think anyone would argue that Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> is better than Patrick Mahomes, but how do we think this matchup stacks up? Wait, say that again? Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah. Is that what I said? Yeah. I said I don't think anyone would argue that oh, Jimmy Garoppolo oh, is better than Thank okay. you for listening to me. <laughs> I, was, I appreciate I was, it. I was writing some notes for ah. the tennis for when I leave. No, 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 no. For <laughs> tennis. Um. No, definitely going to cover that. <laughs> Say that again? Okay. All right, let's try for the third time. I don't think that anyone would argue that Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Patrick Mahomes. Okay. But how do both teams play to their quarterback strength in this game? I still don't understand the question. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, I think it's going to be the 49ers game plan going into the game is going to be the same as it was uh, two weekends ago. Now with how they beat the Patriots and trying to run the ball um, and control the clock. Um, keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, and that just happens to keep it keep it out of Garoppolo's hands. Um, 
where they're going to try to run the ball all the time, but Mahomes and um, the 49ers are just going to try to throw the ball over the place. Like, that's the only thing this team does. Um, they're able to run it a little bit, but they're really just – it's Patrick Mahomes, and he's just going to throw the ball all over the field. They're going to score in 90 seconds and then throw their defense back out there, which is bad for their defense, especially being better than it has been, kind of more um, improved. But being out on the field after scoring in 90 seconds isn't great for them. But that's that's how this 49er not 49ers this Chiefs team works, and neither team's gonna stop what they're doing. It's just gonna it'll be interesting to see how it works out because they're completely different styles. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, yeah, I don't really need to say anything. It's like just what you said. Chiefs are gonna want to throw it down quick as possible. All the skill players. It'll be interesting to see um, the front four of the of the Niners against Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes. Obviously, he was great in the pocket. He was great out of the pocket. What are they going to do to contain him or to literally get him on the ground? As you can have him, you can have his lower body, and he can still just with just with pure arm strength throw 30, 40 yards downfield. So how are they going to contain him? How are they? Um, I'm also interested to see. I think you touched on a little bit, Connor, last week. Where is Richard Sherman going to play? Is he going to? Is he going to shadow Terry Kill the whole game? Is he going to stay on the one side because? They have a lot of very good wide receivers on the team, and Travis Kelsey. Is they have mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins, who number four pick in the draft, former number one wide receiver for the Bills. Um, also like a number like one number two with the Rams, so he's no slouch. They have Ty- obviously Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Damian Williams can catch the ball out of the back out of the backfield. Cole Hardman can run. Yeah, he can literally. Yeah, I was. Yeah, which is incredible. Yeah, you literally get him and just put him on a fly route, and he'll be open. So. Um, yeah, it'll be very interesting, and obviously on the flip side, what you said they're going to run it, possibly try to take it, you know, burn the clock, and just do, I similar game plan to the Titans. Don't give the ball too much to Mahomes. Yeah, I'd agree. Now, I I think for the Chiefs, they are going to throw that ball over the all over the yard. Kind of touched on it a little bit last week. It's supposed to be in Miami. Everything that I've seen so far, weather-wise, it should be clear on Sunday. That's perfect weather for that Chiefs offense to work kind of at, at full voice there and really just blast forward um, for Kansas City. And just went through all the weapons there. On San Francisco side for Garoppolo, I don't think he's thrown it only six times this time. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a lot more throws from it. What he's going to have to do is just target George Kittle. I mean, listen, the guy is, if not the best tight end in the league, the second best tight end in the league. I, you think you have the two best tight ends mm-hmm. in the league going at it, which will be a really interesting matchup to watch through through all of this. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they throw Tyron Matthew to try to guard him just because who else is really going to be able to deal with the ability of Kittle to get down the field as well, even though Kittle's a bigger guy than Matthew. Matthew's got the athletic ability to maybe make some plays on him. So I do think San Francisco is going to be able to move the ball. And then as well, you've got the experience in Emmanuel Sanders as well, a guy that's been there, done that, and can make some plays across the field and open things up for Kittle and then get into that run game because that's the 49ers bread and butter, which will bring us straight into the kind of the key matchup of the game, how I'm looking at it. And that's that Chiefs defense against the 49er run game. The 49er run game ripped the Green Bay Packers to shreds in the NFC Championship game. Now, Kansas City did a very good job at limiting Derrick Henry. Um, so what the 49ers do is they usually run an outside uh, rushing attack um, between where they run a zone scheme. And Tennessee did the same thing last week. And they held Derrick Henry to only about 3.75 yards per carry on that when during the regular season they averaged around six. So a big, big jump there for Kansas City to be able to stop one of the better running backs in the league focusing in on that. Can they do the same thing against San Francisco? It's a tough question. 
The other thing that they've done, and that has really not been stated enough, is that people love to kill that Chiefs defense. Chiefs defense has actually been better than most people think. Andy Reid made a big switch um, this season, bringing in Steve Spagnuolo as defensive coordinator, um, and he's really helped out that Kansas City defense. They ranked about 14th in the league in defensive efficiency. That's top half of the league still for when you usually think about what you hear about that Chiefs defense, usually like, oh, they can't stop anyone. No, they're they're okay. So I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be going into it. Can the Chiefs defense stop that 49ers run game or at least slow it down? I think so. I think if they – I think think Tyron Matthew will be the dictator for this game. I think that we're still going off George Kittle – you know, is he going to guard him because he's obviously very similar size to Gronk, but he's going to be able to step up in the run game and the safeties to make tackles. Um, I think that you'll be seeing a lot of cover one, if not, you know, cover zero with seven or eight guys in the box to force Jimmy G to throw the ball to try to stop that run game. So, um, how good is the Niners offensive line? Very good. Okay. Yeah. It's a very talented and group. I, there hasn't, I don't think that there's been much talk on them, so, um... I don't think that they will just because they have a three-headed monster with that running attack as well. It's not just, you know, if Moser gets tired, if he gets a little banged up, there's other guys behind him. Do you want to just skip to the predictions because he's got to go? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so we'll get into our score and MVP predictions then because Sherwood's got to go. 38-28 Chiefs. The catch-up man wins MVP. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, third, no. 38-28, too. No. 28-24, Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. All right, and so we all have the Kansas City Chiefs winning, and I have 34-24, Kansas City. Mahomes, of course, is going to win MVP. I'm seeing four total touchdowns out of him, Hmm. and I just, I don't think that San Francisco is going to be able to keep up with that with that Kansas City offense. I think it just comes down to that. Now, if San Francisco is able to turn this into a slugfest, like we talked about if Tennessee could do with Kansas City, then San Francisco can absolutely win this game. But if there's any sort of a track meet here, Kansas City Chiefs will be your Super Bowl champion. Mr. Sherwood? Thank you, guys. Shout out to Dustin, who just tuned in. I have to go ahead and text you that. But thank you, guys, everyone. It was fun. I'll see you next week. Yeah. I'll see you guys. Yeah, probably see you in a little bit. (laughs) All right. And then one final thing for our NFL segment as we go back to the old-fashioned round tripper here. Oh, yeah. Just me and Conrad rocking it. Is Eli Manning retired on Friday. So I'll give Manning just a a little bit of his due here. Um, Manning, a two-time Super Bowl champion, a two-time Super Bowl MVP. He's one of five players in NFL history to win multiple Super Bowl MVP awards. All of them quarterbacks, Tom Brady with four, Joe Montana with three, Terry Bradshaw and Bart Starr also both won two. Four-time Pro Bowler, most fourth-quarter touchdown passes in a single season with 15 in 2011. He's third all-time for most consecutive starts in the NFL with 210. Only came to an end because Ben McAdoo decided to start Geno Smith in a game in Oakland in in 2017, which still irks every single Giant fan ever. Um, Just Manning's impact cannot be overstated for the Giants. He was the guy, and he kind of set the gold standard for what it is to be a star in New York, just no scandals whatsoever, just handled his business, won the big games, um, you know, just consistent everything. Eli Manning was the perfect Giants quarterback, uh, the perfect quarterback for that city, and just an incredible career. Yeah. 
No, he was amazing. Like you said, he handled what New York is and being the quarterback in New York basically as well as you could. Um, there's reasons why a lot, like the Jets haven't had one, not only because they haven't found one that can fit, but also there's so many ways to get in trouble in a city like mm-hmm. New York, and especially with how that media covers the team. Um, there's just... And he, he never got caught up with any of that. He just was able, he went to work focused and was able to win. And just how nice of a guy he was, not that that's really should factor into how you're covered by the media, but it definitely helps. And that even when he was going through um, the struggles that were happening under Mackey in the last, what, four or five years of his career, that team sucked. Yeah, no, the and Giants... never and... really turned on him. No, never. Because um, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault, but yeah, like... A lot of other guys, it would have been turned on him or he would have gone out blaming people. He never did that. He was just the ultimate stand-up guy, and he was able to figure out how to beat Brady in, a, in two Super Bowls, which Twice. is which is why he's going to be probably in the Hall of Fame. Like He's got a 500 record, but two Super Bowl wins against an undefeated team, and then at the end of the dynasty, or in the middle of the dynasty. In the middle of the dynasty, yeah. Um, of probably the greatest franchise in NFL history. So yeah. it's an unbelievable career, definitely doing the right thing, not trying to extend it by going to another team. That'd just be... I agree. It ju- wouldn't be right. Just a disgrace. Yeah. So. It's a, it, it wouldn't be right. Um, I'll just make a quick smile and say, Eli finished 125 and 121 if you count the postseason. So four games um, over 500. I wasn't counting. <laughs> I believe it's 117, 117. Yes. Otherwise. Yes, it is. Uh, for, for his regular season record. So he has 16 seasons, all with the New York Giants. Um, he could not have summed it up better uh, in his press conference where um, once a giant, always a giant. And then he added in only a giant because that's what Eli Manning just, again, we talk about Kobe Bryant as an icon for the whole world. Um, Eli Manning as a New York Giants icon, absolutely the best quarterback to ever play for the franchise, and his next stop will be Canton, Ohio. But all right, so that'll sum up our Super Bowl preview and a little Eli soliloquy there. Um, we are going to throw it to a quick break and then get into some Villanova basketball. This is Round Trip on 89.1, and we'll be right back. All right, back here to jump into some Villanova basketball with that last song, Avicii the Knights there, um, one of Megan's cousin Bobby's favorite songs, so a tribute to him. I'm thinking of all you guys um, out tonight and through this tough period. But so we're going to go into Villanova basketball, a 2-0 week up to number eight in the polls as Nova continues to climb a big, big win over the Butler Bulldogs at the Pavilion, 76-61, as well as a 64-60 win at Providence. So we're going to start with the Butler game. I mean, that was a massive victory for the Wildcats. Yeah, that was huge. Um, Yes, Butler was coming in on kind of a skid, but they were – by far one of the more dominant teams in the Big East, and definitely you could feel um, that they that they could do something special this year. And then just how handedly um, the Wildcats were able to just dominate that game and win by 15. Um, and just in that second half, it never really even got to the point where it felt like it was on edge, especially coming off of the week before where... It was a scare against DePaul, scare against UConn, and then take on a much better team in Butler and just kind of run them off the floor a little bit. Um, that's that's it's just a huge win, um, and yeah, definitely taking steps in the right direction after that one. Yeah, and and that's what's so like maddening about <laughs> yeah. this Villanova team is I think we all now see 
how good this team is. But then you have that DePaul game where they blow the 10-point lead with three and a half minutes left. You have that UConn game where they're down for a good portion of the game and then have to come back in the final couple minutes. And then you play the Butler Bulldogs, a very, very good team with the fifth-ranked defense in the country. And you beat the doors off of them, 76-61. to 61. It wasn't that close. Butler was able to close it a little bit towards the end. They played fantastic defense, held Butler to 25% from the field, only let them get to the foul line eight times. Uh, they held Sean McDermott, one of their better players, to two points on one of 11 shooting in 22 minutes. Yeah. I mean... And I'm pretty sure those points didn't come with... The, they came with, what, like three minutes left? It was a layup, I believe, with, yeah, around, maybe right. even under that. Yeah. So, no, they, they completely neutralized one of the better shooters in the Big East. And then looking at Villanova, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, 12 points and 14 rebounds. Another double-double, his six on the season, on his way to winning um, Big East Freshman of the Week yet again. So that's Villanova now. Count it has eight out of 11. Um, just in, just <laughs> incredible performance from these Villanova freshmen. Another thing with Robinson Earl, he leads the Big East in free throw shooting at 86%. That's not a typo. He is higher than Marcus Howard, the guy that never, ever misses. Yeah. Jeremiah Robinson is a freshman big man and leads the conference in foul shooting. Now, foul shooting is something that Villanova has really taken advantage of as well over the last couple weeks. They're one of the top, I believe they're in the top five, if I'm quoting it uh, off the top of my head correctly, in, in the country in foul shot percentage. Just they do the little things right, and they hit their foul shots, and that's been the difference in games. Yeah, especially when in this Butler game they got to the line 23 times and they cash in on 21 of those. Um uh, going back to almost that Marquette game, they couldn't hit a free throw. No. Um, and that game was close. And if you hit the free throws, you're well, it wasn't that close. But you hit the free throws, maybe makes it more of a game, and you're not as you're not fighting back the entire time. So it shows that when they're when they are hitting the free throws, which is most of the time, mm -hmm. it's only the outlier is the when they is when they miss when they miss. So yeah, if they're able to keep with the fundamentals and keeping everything. Everything simple, simple, like free throws and not turning the ball over. They did a good job. Remember early in the year when they were getting 15 turnover games regularly against teams, you should not be turning the ball over that much. They only had six turnovers against Butler. Um, so really when they do the fundam fundamentals well, which is what Jay teaches in all of his teams and really you have to grow into, it's not something that freshmen kind of come in and know. Um, you can see why this team has been getting better because Jay's had more time with them, more time to instill these values in them. Um, and it makes you think, imagine when these guys grow up and they aren't freshmen, sophomores anymore, and they're juniors, seniors, if they're still on the team, hopefully they are. Um, yeah, it's, it's so true. And then the, the foul shooting, everyone is a, is a pretty good foul shooter on the team, except you would say Jermaine Samuels is the one that, uh, that struggles most of the time from the foul line. I believe he's at around 68% from the line, but he shot nine and 10 against Butler for 20.7 rebound performance, which, and, and we'll talk about Samuels then going into the Providence game as well. And that Samuels got hurt in that game with a, with a foot injury and Villanova, kind of limped to the finish line in that one. It just shows how big of a part of this team Jermaine Samuels has really turned into. Now, Samuels has faced his fair share of criticism, and you know what? A lot of it was has been deserved through his first couple of years. But the player that Samuels has turned into over you know throughout this season, he's a huge part of how this team plays. He's become a lot more aggressive. 
drive into the lane. He's been able to pick up fouls um, and, and get to the line. He's been a better foul shooter than usual. No, he's not a perfect foul shooter, but it's been better. Def- he's up from 60 to 70%. Yeah. Um, defensively, he's a linchpin of how they play and that he forces a lot of turnovers through steals. He's a very good rebounder. And what Villanova does um, on defense that really bothers teams is that they send Bay and Samuels out on the perimeter and when teams call for screens they just end up switching on to the other one and they go back and forth so that primary ball handler is still stuck with a really really good defender and that's credit to Samuels for him being able to do that so Jermaine Samuels has really made some big strides this year yeah he's definitely taken taken a lot of steps and a lot of that for him I think has been the confidence towards the end of last year you could kind of see it um, especially after that Marquette game where he was able to score a lot. I think mm-hmm. that was able to give him a confidence boost because he was always kind of maybe not as great a defender, but always that was what he was on the floor to do was those hustle plays that the defending gets some rebounds. Um, but once he started putting kind of that scoring together at the end of the year, and then he would he would go through those games of, oh, I'm a scorer now. Like I'm going to jack up all the <laughs> shots. Um, and now he's kind of settled into a version where he's able to – He's still able to get that scoring, um, but he's just being, like you said, way more efficient, taking less threes, but still, and making them at a, at a decent clip. But, um, yeah, and then obviously the defending defending's still there, and if you're able to have a forward like him who's able to kind of switch onto everything, kind of go around the court and um, especially guard the perimeter like he does, it's it's such a benefit to the defense and really being that kind of upperclassman to that will teach the other guys like Robinson Earl, how to, how to play defense like that is, is a huge part of this team and why they're doing so well right now. Yeah. Listen, the bottom line is that he's turned into a key player for Villanova and that's all you can ask for, for player development uh, going for a guy in his third year, one of the three juniors on the team right now. He's absolutely turned into one of the key guys for Nova. He's shown an ability to score, especially in the last month. He's been average. He's been, his uh, points per game has been on the up and up. I believe he's had like 19, 15, 14 points in a row before going to a uh, 20 again against Butler before dropping down to four against Providence when he got injured. So the big thing is you got to hope that Samuels is okay. Now we didn't really get an update from Villanova about his condition there is a game tomorrow night against st john's i'd say it's probably not likely that he plays just the proximity of the two games but we don't really know the severity of the injury because villanova didn't really give us anything so we have to hope that he's okay but going into that providence game then i mean quite simple listen it was at the dunk and just going to providence is always just a tough ask for, for these Big East teams. They play so well there under Ed Cooley. Um, offensively, is Gillespie and Robinson Earl really led the way. 18 points from Gillespie, 17 from Robinson Earl. Ran the fast break very well, something that Villanova doesn't do too often as they like to slow things down. And the key thing for them is that Nova won by four. They held Alpha Diallo, one of the better players in the Big East, to zero points. <laughs> zero points on 0 of 6 shooting. Providence is not as far from one of the best teams in the country this year, but they're playing better in the Big East. It was a road game. It was a conference game. It's another one down for Nova. Yeah, it's one of those that, especially they've had a string of home games, so you kind of get row, yeah. comfortable playing there, and you're able to kind of, it's easier to fight through those games where you're in a little bit of a lull. You're playing a, a lesser team, um, and you can see going into this Providence game with Providence going into the game 11-9, and nine, um, you could you could see 
possibly Villanova being like, especially coming off of that huge Butler win, maybe taking it taking it for granted. But definitely going to Providence is, like you said, always a tough game for Villanova. And figuring it out there, finally figuring it out on the road, how you get through those struggles with losing Samuels early and still able to, being able to come out with the win, um, that that's also a big step, even though it's closer than probably everybody hoped the game would be. That is a step because you remember early in the year, all of the losses have, have really come on the road and they've been embarrassing losses. Mm-hmm. They have been against good teams, but they've been blown out. Um, so it's good that they were able to kind of figure out maybe some of those road woes, those road problems. Um, and hopefully it's a big confidence boost um, going into this game at St. John's and then for all the road games the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So the question that it kind of bears from this now is six wins in a row for the Wildcats. Has Villanova hit its stride? Now, we talked about it, you know, in the early months of the season. I, I think we all said, like, watch this team come January and February and see what happens with these young guys. And you know what? They're up to number eight in the country, and they look kind of scary. If you're thinking about the rest of the college basketball landscape, that there is no true fantastic team. Baylor is very, very talented. San Diego State sitting there undefeated. Duke's good. Gonzaga's really strong, but there's no 2018 Villanova. There's no 2019 Virginia. Yeah. I, I think Nova has hit its stride, and that's even with Brian Antoine not really playing, which we'll, we'll mention that question, or we'll get to that in a second. Just because, like I said, how Samuels has grown into such an important player. Sadiq Bey is getting thrown on a draft boards now. Colin Gillespie has been incredible. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to win Big East Freshman of the Year. Like, <laughs> this Villanova team's dangerous. Yeah, no, I think we kind of all predicted that this is, like you said, when everything's going to come together. If and it was going to come together, it was going to come together around now. And honestly, it's come together better than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought, all right, they'll be they'll be making some upticks. Like, still didn't really know maybe where all that scoring was gonna come from, um, and how the freshmen would be able to fit in with that defensive scheme. But they're really, again, after that Butler game, like just that was such an impressive win that it makes you feel so good about this team going forward, and that they are kind of hitting their stride, and it's good with so much time left in the Big East, another month of play before the tournament, that they'll hopefully be able to, you, you see how they do in the road games during this stretch, kind of like I was saying earlier, but if they're able to take the next couple of road games and really continue on this, and if Sam, if Samuels is able to play, I think that's yeah, a big that's part key. of it. If, that, if that, that throws off the whole being in stride thing. But they definitely are hitting their stride, and they are scary. At number eight, like, you still don't want to play this team in the tournament. Like, they might be young, but they're coming from a program where they have enough with the three older guys that have won a championship and just Jay being the coach and the coach of the decade. Nobody's going to want to play that in the tournament. And they're not probably not going to be a one seed, so it's going to be a scary two, three seed. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I, I doubt they end up as a one. But yeah, like you're saying, how, how talented they are. I mean, they're sitting there at 16-3 and three right now. And the, the thing that I know that they've hit their stride is that they just keep churning out close win after close win. Yeah. And that's not something that, I'll say, average teams can do. That That's something that really good teams are able to do. And that's what this Villanova team seemingly is able to do time after time. They don't haven't been able to blow too many teams away. 
this year. Like, they blew Butler away, which is why that win was so impressive. But they've just got the toughness and the ability to grind out results, and there's something to be said about that. And so leading into a question, though, of Villanova at full strength, Brian Antoine had a did-not-play over the weekend against Providence. Are you concerned over the usage of Antoine at all? I'm not sure I'm concerned about the usage. More about kind of his play. So I was expecting him to be... He was supposed to come in, um, even coming off of... Um, shoulder surgery. The, so, the shoulder, sur- shoulder surgery. Um, you didn't really know what you were going to get, but the fact that he did get a stretch of of time where he was getting decent minutes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just oh let's warm him back up. It was all right. He's he needs to be a rotation guy for this team to be to be great, and that's what kind of I think we all thought waiting for him to come back. But yeah, before this stretch where he only had one minute against Butler as well, uh, before that um, DNP, he really wasn't doing anything. Yes, he would get out there and you could see him defensively. He kind of looked a little lost, but he was still at least putting in the effort. Like you could tell. He was really locked in down to his guy, but he never was able to like look around and help with any of that team defense. Um, and he wasn't really hitting anything offensively. Like he couldn't. He, I don't, I don't know what his, um, his, his stats overall were. He averaged one and a half points a game, shooting fifteen uh, percent from three, thirty three percent from the field, from the line a hundred percent. But I'm assuming that's because he's probably had like two or three foul shots. Um, he's just not able to help this team offensively, and defensively he looks so lost that I don't blame not getting any playing time. Like, it hurts because you want to see him develop, but while mm-hmm. this team is getting into the the struggle that is the Big East, especially being one of the better conferences in the country this year, you can't really afford to just give him those times to develop and play it off that everybody had in that non-conference play. Like, it just set him back far enough where it's, it, it seems to be a problem. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it. It's that it's not that they don't want to see him develop. It's just that he hasn't been effective when he's played. And yet, listen, it's a big ass for a kid coming into college, coming off a, a shoulder injury like that to miss the entire summer, miss practice through, through all of that, and then just get thrown into things in November. That's difficult and then especially to not play too much early and then have where it was late november and then basically have a month until you get thrown into the deepest conference in the country that's really hard so he's just he's been ineffective i mean like you said 1.5 points a game 15 percent from deep and on defense like you see a lot of energy like he moves around yeah. a lot but the problem is teams are targeting him because they're still able to get past him yeah, he, he's in their face, which is great, and I'm sure Jay appreciates that and really likes that. But just fundamentals aren't fully there on defense, and that's going to be an issue because we know Villanova preaches defense so, so much. And then what I'd like to see with him is that he doesn't get in the lane at all. Like, he just keeps on throwing yeah. up jump shots, and he, he hasn't been able to hit them. Now, listen, I'm sure after a little bit of development, once he's able to hit his stride and things like that, he's, he's, he's a shooter. Like, I think most of us have seen his high school highlights, like, the kid was a stud there and he can shoot don't think that he can't shoot but he can't do it right now so use that speed and quickness get in the lane use that athleticism and he just hasn't done that so i'm not sure how much of antoine you're going to see down the stretch here i think how as you said how big the samuels injury is going to determine a lot of it because if he's playing one down there antoine's going to get more playing time no matter what but i'm just 
I wouldn't count on seeing a bunch of Antoine down the stretch here. Now, I think coming into sophomore year, he can be a gigantic player for this team, yeah. giving him a full summer to work through everything and going through a year of experience in college. But I, I agree in that I'm not concerned with the usage of it because I just don't think he's earned the minutes yet. No, and it's it's a real shame, and it's not you can't really blame anybody. In this no, it's not like, his it's just, fault. It's just that the circumstances weren't right, and that's why he hasn't really been able to kind of show real, really anything so far. But it'll be ex- exciting to see him. It's bad to like kind of look this way, but next year it's going to be. I think very exciting. Then we're going to see what we saw in high school. But like one coming off the injury, being your first year in college, just so many things were changing that it's it's tough to perform. And then being thrown out there, the biggest, the most minutes he got in a game was at was at Marquette. Like that's that's a tough one to be thrown. Is that's your game. Um, in, a, in a game where no one was hitting anything for yes. Villanova. So. I agree. Yeah, but your, your your thing of, though, looking forward to next year is exciting. Yes, like this team is in, incredibly it talented is, it, and is geared up for what could be run. For him, but if you I do know. want to think about next year, think about that that crop of guards. Gillespie, Antoine Moore, and Caleb Daniels coming in. It's, it's <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, next year, especially if guys return, which we don't know, Next year could be something really special. Defected guard you. Exactly. But for Villanova, I mean, as we said, this team is building, starting to hit its stride. Some very difficult, like this team's going to lose games before the end of the season. Let, let, let's be very clear on that. Some very difficult games still coming up. Creighton on Saturday at Butler versus number 10, Seton Hall. Still has to play Marquette again. Goes to Xavier, to Seton Hall. There's some brutal games, as we said. It's a brutal conference. But if Villanova is able to come out with a Big East crown in this, Man, you like their chances heading into March to be able to make some noise. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that'll wrap up our Villanova basketball segment. We are going to send it to a break and wrap up with some miscellaneous and around the Nova Nation. This is Round Tripper here on 89.1, and we'll be right back. All right, finishing up the show here on Round Tripper as we get through miscellaneous and Nova Nation. Again, throwback version now with just me and Conrad here. Yup. Yup. So, all right, we're going to start with some some really exciting news, actually, from the NBA. And that was that Zion Williamson finally, finally made his debut on Wednesday night for the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, Zion, in that opening night with 22 points in 18 minutes, including just uh, an incredible stretch of three-point shooting there in the fourth quarter. So through three games, uh, averaging 19.3 points, eight boards on 67% shooting. Now, yeah, it's three games, but I gotta say, it's a pretty pretty nice start for the rookie. Yeah, no, it's it's very impressive, especially considering he's on um, a minutes restriction and and all that. Um, being able to put up the points he has, nobody really thought he'd be able to come in as dominant because everybody's like going into college. Oh, he can't do what he did in high school going to the NBA, especially coming in halfway, more than halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Nobody was like, all right, he's going to be able to do it again. And he really, at the beginning of that Spurs game, he really wasn't um, No, until that fourth quarter when he went on a stretch, I believe it was 17 points. I had 16 just, or 17 16 in my head 17. Yeah of literally just him scoring for the Pelicans and put them in a position to win that game that they just should and, not have been. And then they took him out of the game though with six yeah. minutes left, and then, and uh, then San Antonio was able yeah. to win the game. But it shows the impact of what he's been able to do just through a couple games. Exactly. It shows that he really was kind of worth that first-round pick, 
first overall pick over Ja, even though Ja is having an amazing season. Yes. And but Ja will be rookie of the year still, will. even just because I missed too much time. Might, yeah. And Ja deserves it because Ja's been incredible. Yes. But w- what this does, I, it's it's great. Listen, again, it's three games. So we're, we're, you're not going to go crazy on it. But it adds an incredibly exciting player to the league. And just a new dynamic there of the Pelicans because, you know, they're going to be on national TV a bunch. New Orleans there, they lost Anthony Davis in that trade to the Lakers. Drew Brees may be retiring. I mean, we could be witnessing the, a torch passing there in New Orleans going to their new superstar. And I definitely think the city is going to embrace Zion. Yeah, I mean, they really don't have another choice. No, not really. Um, what, you're saying Lonzo can't do it? Yeah, Lonzo's not going to be able to do it. And Ingram, is, as kind of grit as he's been this and year. And Ingram's been very good this yeah, year. Yeah, he's definitely taking that step getting out of L.A. I think helped him a lot, changing scenery. Um, and that duo of Ingram and Williamson, um, Ingram and Zion, nobody calls him Williamson. <laughs> Again, one of those one-name guys, first-name yeah. guys. And he's, what, 19? Um, yeah, he's just, that duo in New Orleans is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Hopefully, New Orleans sees what they have, because I know it's it's very much not a basketball town. It's no, it's a football town. Football it's town. a football town, absolutely. Um, but it, it's something special, and that environment for that Spurs game was something special. Um, and you could tell, I heard even Spurs fans that went to that game were like, all right, they're like, we know we're watching now when Zion went off. They're like, everybody's cheering for him. It's a great thing. And it's definitely what the NBA needs right now, especially with being such a lull of a season. While there's been more chaos than there has in the past because there's no that Golden State Warriors, that Miami Heat team, uh, the Lakers of old, that now, even though there's more parity, less people are watching, people are going to tune into Zion. People did tune in for Zion. I, I sum it up yes. as myself. I'm like it would be a casual NBA fan where you know all my other sports I, I'm tuned in and locked in for whatever. The NBA I don't. I kind of I just kind of pick and choose a little bit. And when Zion Williamson's playing, I want to watch it on TV just because it's something. It's so different how explosive he is, how big he is. I mean, he's a 280 pound yeah. basketball player. Third heaviest in the league. Yeah, but but that can jump through the roof. So it, it's it's fun to watch, and it'll just be interesting, like what he does in the league, because you know that people doubted him coming into it, like you said, saying, "Ah, oh, this this can't translate. The, there's no way." I mean, he had a double double against the Boston Celtics last night. Yeah, for his first one. Yeah, yeah. So just watching Zion throughout the season and basically how how he's gonna grow. Um, will be very interesting to watch and just what he ends up doing, what the Pelicans end up doing, because they are starting to win some games. I know they're still, I believe, over 10 games under 500. They're but, only like three, but that's the four thing. games out. They're, they're not that far out of a playoff spot. Now with New Orleans healthy? Or I, I, you I, I, go the other route, uh-oh. imagine pairing another lottery pick with Zion and Ingram. There you go. That could be something special. Exactly. Now, I think the NBA is hoping that the Pelicans can get into the playoffs because they're have seeing that, dollar signs. Uh, what is Would that be? They'd probably get at the eight. The Lakers are number one right now, I believe. Can you imagine what they, uh, they uh, hype that they... Oh, first, it's a, first let's, let's be clear, a first-round NBA playoff Where series, which is knows historically horrible. But a 1-8 matchup of LeBron and Zion. Oh, my And God. with that trade that happened with Anthony yeah. Davis going back to New Orleans, <laughs> Ingram and Lonzo back in L.A. Uh, 
perfect. It's gonna happen. <laughs> it's one hundred percent gonna happen. Now. It's gonna happen. Like, I didn't even think of that. No, it, it, it has to now. It's perfect. So that that'll be fun to watch and something that we're watching for in the NBA. The NBA will come more into our focus now with the, with football season wrapping up uh, after Sunday. So definitely be on the lookout for that. As we move through miscellaneous, the New York Mets hired their new manager in Luis Rojas, a 38-year-old with no major league manager experience. Now, he was in the Mets system for over 12 years, managed a bunch of different minor league affiliates. And if the Mets were going to go internal, I think it's the right hire for them. Now, there's definitely arguments to be made that they should bring in just the experienced guy. But I think if you were going with that, it would have been their first hire in November. It's so hard to bring someone in outside the organization less than or just over two weeks from spring training. Uh, that going with a guy that the players love, he's managed, I believe, the numbers 13 out of the 25 guys on the roster at, at some point through the system. It, the players rave about him. He's in tune with analytics because that's what they made the coaching position as the quality control coach for them with. It just it, it makes sense for the Mets, and it's not something that I think you can kill them for. Now, listen, they only gave him a two-year contract because he's never done it before, which is fair also on the organization because, again, it's a first-time major league manager. So if things don't go perfectly right, they have the ability to, to get out of it. But I do think it's something interesting to watch from everything that I've read and, and heard. The, the organization's happy with it. The players are happy with it. He He's young. He's a good communicator. He's bilingual. Like I said, he's in there with analytics. Let, let's give it a shot. Yeah, with everything you just said, I knew nothing about this guy, but especially with the two-year contract where if things do go poorly this year, you kind of can can kind of reset and go through that um, um, hiring again, especially with how late it is right before the season. You kind of you have the opportunity to take a chance with this hire and not get the beef for it or not get the backlash for it because it because of the situation that ha- happened with Beltron. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it, I think it's a good risk. Um, they know the guy, and if it turns into something special, and he is like a very good manager, they kind of lucked into it. And, yeah. And can't can't fault him. Like it's a there's it's kind of a win win in this situation. Like either he's a great coach or in two years you find another guy and it's really, you're not worse off. No, no, I, I feel the same way. So it'll be very interesting to watch um, th- throughout throughout the season. Now the Astros and the Red Sox are still managerless. So we'll see what they go with um, as we again, move closer and closer towards spring training. Um, we'll, we'll skip along here once I'll tell you why for a second. Um, NHL All-Star Weekend just happened as well. Skills competition winners Matt Barzell won fastest skater. Jordan Bennington, St. Louis Blue, won uh, most uh, the goalie save streak. Shea Weber still killing it in the um, with the hardest shot with 107 miles an hour in the Pacific beat the Atlantic in the All-Star Game Final. Now, my computer is about to die, so and it's got the recording. So we need to wrap this up very quickly. So around the Nova Nation, Villanova had a track meet. Conrad killed it. It, it went well. Uh, really, the sprinters and jumpers went. Um, yeah, every, everybody did great. The freshmen did great again. Um, Keegan and um, Anthony Brody did fantastic in the open four. Um, there's a couple of alumni that came back that were did fantastic on the professional professional races. Really cool experience in the armory. Always a great meet. Um, was a lot of fun. 
Yes, and like I said, Conrad won his race as well in the 400, so congratulations, my friend. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, so that'll do it for a round tripper. Sorry for the abrupt finish, but we need to make sure we get this <laughs> recording and that doesn't leave us. So for, for Jack Sherwood and Conrad Bayer, I'm Pat Zhang. We will be back next Monday night wrapping up the Super Bowl football season. We'll be done the next time you hear from us. This is Round Tripper on 89.1. Go catch.